uh, visit a theme that really is an old friend. Um, I, you, you know me well enough to know that I, I often think of, uh, of the, the Scriptures as being my friends. I mean, Matthew, we're, we've been in Luke for a long time. Dr. Luke's like a, like a dear friend. He talks to me every Spirit of God talks to me through Luke's writing. Paul, how about Paul? And uh, uh, David and the Psalms and Solomon and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature. And uh, they counsel me and they should counsel you. And God has designed it that that it should be just that way. And so uh, a theme, and I was surprised it was just short of uh, four years ago that we touched on this, uh, uh, this very theme and this very text. Boy, time does fly, doesn't it? I would have, if you asked me, I would have thought, well, maybe 18 months, two years ago. But So I've entitled it, If the Lord Wills. Take your Bible, look at James chapter 4. I thought I was thinking, sit, sitting in the hospital, I had reason this pause and to think and look out the window and, and just as we trust the Lord during that surgery with our little baby, uh, this, this text came right to mind. And I thought, like, I think I need it. And I studied it then. And then I thought, you know, this is one that we probably ought to repeat every six months because our tendency uh, is, uh, is to forget. Uh, and so if the Lord wills. James, the first pastor, he's uh, the brother of Jesus, half-brother, probably next in birth order. Uh, he uh, probably wasn't uh, a Christian till after the Lord and the resurrected body approached him, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, James's name is listed there. This is not the brother of John, John and James, sons of thunder. Uh, that is not, that's a different James. But James was saved and became the first pastor of the first church in the first city. How about that? The city of Jerusalem uh, there, and we know that from several places, Galatians uh, 2 and then uh, Acts 15, where there's the Jerusalem Council, and it's James that gives the report. And so he seems to be the spokesman, the leader of that church. And so now his church is scattered because of persecution. You know the context, I think. We've, we've dealt with James years back. Maybe we ought to do that again as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so he writes like a mother hen, like a pastor. You know, that's what a pastor is, kind of like a mother hen. They're all scattered, and he's concerned about them. Ladies are going to study that this fall uh, in the ladies' Bible study with Beth Moore. But, uh, and he's going to touch on a number of things to them that are now scattered from the city of Jerusalem. Although James is still there, he writes this letter. That's what this is, an epistle. And uh, he's going to deal with this topic. I've called it the, the, If the Lord Wills. Uh, James 4, 13 to the end of this chapter. James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade uh, and make a profit. Yet uh, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor. That appears for a little time, underline little time, <laughs> and then vanishes. Instead, or rather, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do, it's implied, in this manner, in this matter, and fails to do it, well, for him, that is sin. If the Lord wills. You know, our ability to plan and to schedule future events, 
uh, is a glorious quality. And it, it sets us apart from the rest of creation. I hope you appreciate that. You see your imago Dei, your likeness to God in so many ways. And here's one of them. You're able to take a day timer or calendar or your phone. I have on your list here, your appointment calendar, day timer, scheduler on your phone. Reveals this likeness to God. Uh, and you and I do that. We are able to, to plan that. Every Sunday night, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get my day timer. I still use the day timer. Some of you are tech savvy and think I think me an antique, and that's okay. But I've done it so long, it would seem so odd not for me to see seven, the next seven days in, at, at a glance. And I, I fill in everything uh, that I see, and I'm planning by way of appointments, study time, worship, services, I'll even put my worship, private worship time, put my exercise time. I've been exercising 29 years, you think it, but I put it all down there. It's kind of like my brain's on the paper and I don't have to think about it. And so I do that. And it's always, I don't, I don't always say it, but the Lord has the right to rearrange my schedule at any time. He doesn't even need to ask me. Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't say, hey, Terry, is that okay if I change from Thursday to Friday? I got, no, I really, no, no. Yes, Lord, anything. <laughs> and it's right to interrupt my schedule, and I have to remind myself, do you, are you like me in this? The Lord gives me enough time every day to do what He wants me to do, and if my to-do list doesn't get done, guess what? You know, like, uh, either I goofed up and wasn't due diligent, which doesn't happen a lot, though sometimes, not too much. Um, I'm a list guy, and I love to, you know, like, ah, I cross that out, you know, like, I, I, feel, I feel a sense like I've done something. I mean, God gave Adam the, uh, in the garden before the fall. He used to, he to cultivate and develop the garden, to manage it, to, to, to govern her. Now, our control is, uh, is, is limited. Oh. oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Rob. I did, that's not from my mouth, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I did have that when I was a boy. I got my mouth. Well, that's another story. But... Uh, um, what was I talking about? <laughs> anyway, uh, the contrast. Uh, some of you have dogs, right? Your dog never plans. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. He's not, he doesn't plan what he's going to do this year. Well, I hope I go for a walk twice a day. I'm planning on that. You know, they, they don't. And, and even the birds. Now, the ducks are starting to fly. Or I get, no, the geese. The geese, they went by the other day. And they don't have this, like, master calendar, okay, on September 7th, we're going down to York County, and then we're going to work our way down, and there's the, you know, they don't need uh, any sort of Google or MapQuest or any of that kind. God programs their little brain, I don't know how that works, but they start to take off, right? You're, we are made in God's image. We're rational. We have limited rationality, but we're able to, as a part of managing the creation and our schedule and this thing called time, uh, God allows us in His likeness to, to write our schedule. And that's neat. Well, since it is divine like to plan, plan your days. And you do that. Some of you are better at it than others, but most people have a plan. Do it so you can redeem the time. However, in the midst of your many plans, never, never forget what James is telling us. Never, never, never forget. Man proposes, but God disposes. We propose this. We propose that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But the very outcome is not in our hands. 
in the little minutiae and details of life and to the bigger mega plans. And so uh, how many of your dreams and plans have been thwarted? You go, I didn't see that coming. Or some other variable happened or there was a change of circumstances and, and, you go, and that happens a lot, doesn't it? It doesn't mean we shouldn't have a plan. I think we sit down, we plan, and we lay our calendars before the Lord and adjust our thinking. Why? Man proposes, God disposes. Man plans his way, that's mankind, men and women, uh, plans his or her way, but God determines the outcome. I mean, it's so much so that even in the casting of the die or the dice, God determines even that outcome. And so we recognize that this is our Father's world, not ours. We are His guests on His, this, this rock, this rock moving at incredible speeds, uh, hung on nothing. I was talking to a man yesterday on the phone. He said, well, I have to learn to trust God. And uh, he's had a very, very difficult time. And he, he's lost in, the, not lost in, he's just, it's a big uphill climb and all that and trusting God and Boy, I don't see his hand. And I said, we, we got to take, when, when those times hit me, and they do, and, and you take a step back. And it helps me to remember, wait a minute, we're standing on planet Earth. There's a crust. It's molten and hot in the middle, and there's nothing holding us up. Oh, it helps me. God's holding it up. Centripetal force, gravitational forces, and all of these kind of things in his universe and all of that. And then down into the little details of my life, which are grossly insignificant after I think about the mega scene of reality. Oh, and therefore God calls trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. He'll bring it. He'll bring it about. And so man plans his way, but God determines the outcome. It's the wise man or woman who embraces this truth and lives daily knowing that our plans are always tentative at best. I mean, write your plan, but you don't have to write over it if the Lord wills. But in your heart, you should always have that thought. Uh, that's tentative at best. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. That's close, Roger. <laughs> awry. That's right. They often go awry. They don't happen. The best laid. Our, our plans are tentative at best. And God, as I said, can change them in a moment's notice without asking my permission. Dr. Kent wrote uh, one time, my former professor, not only are we unable to plan business ventures with complete certainty, but we cannot be sure that we'll even be alive to start the project. You know, it takes this, our planning team is working so long and so many months and all the details walking forward with the building of the chapel on our land and all. We've, we've not dug, we're still in the phases of tearing down and planning and government approvals and all of these things, they go like, this is taking forever. In fact, the land engineer told us to get all the government approvals will take longer than it does to actually build the chapel. Now, that's a crazy day we live in, you know, with bureaucracy and everybody's got to stamp their little stamp on the, on the drawings and everything else. And you go like, oh my, will we all make it to the very day we break ground? Well, it's, 
Maybe, maybe not, right? I mean, we saw that afresh this week. I, I had a chance to quote again, Deb loves it when I do, Robert Frost at Dale's funeral, because he loved Robert Frost too, so it wasn't just me, Deb. You know, my stopping by the woods on a snowy evening, you know that, right? My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. He gives his little bell a shake to ask if there is some mistake. And miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. Well, I said last week, maybe and maybe not. Miles to go. Maybe not. I had one... Uh, one of my friends uh, from high school, I hadn't seen him in 40 years or whatever, he, Jeff, who lived across the street from me and said he was, he's expressed his condolences with Dale's passing and said he would have been come to the service, but he said uh, he can't come, and in fact, he enters into my grieving. His wife of many years was killed in a car accident just a few months ago. And I go, so that's what I mean. It's tentative. You don't have to open your mouth and breathe in a bug. Why do we call it bugs? They're not really bugs, but you, we all know what we mean. Oh, yeah, you got a germ. You know, and then you get sick and you're in bed, but stuff happens, right? It happens. I didn't see it coming. Maybe, maybe not. Our plans are tentative at best. Well, how about uh, Roebling? How about an example of that? You know the Brooklyn Bridge, that uh, beautiful suspension bridge, and that was... Roebling was one of the first to work on that, I'm told. You know, Roebling, the Brooklyn, how many of you have been on the Brooklyn Bridge? Most of you, about half of you. The rest of you stay out of New York, or don't you? You, go, <laughs> you do, okay. Well, uh, he, it was his, it was Roebling's Folly, they called it. You know, it was a whole different concept in that day, and it took for a long time. That he never saw it finished. Uh, it was his son that finally finished it. And his what? Well, there, John. Thank you. You, you can come and. No, I. I'm, so Roebling's wife and son finished it. I'll adjust my notes, John. Thank you. Well, let's look at. There are three insights guiding us as we make our plans in this very uncertain world of ours. Three insights, that's what I need, is insight, uh, as we guiding us to make our plans. Recognize, and here it is in the Word, just recognize your total and utter dependency upon God for everything. Everything, everything. Well, the first insight, verse 13, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such town, spend a year there, trade and make, make a profit. Well, the first insight, sad to say, but for many believers, many believers, remember James is a pastor, he's writing to his church folks that are now separated, they, they would profess to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Sad to say, for many believers, God is not part of uh, the planning process at all. He's not even in the picture. How sad is that? And Pastor James exposes this as a kind of worldliness found in believers who attempt to live their lives autonomous or independent of God. Uh, James imagines in this verse uh, a group of Christian businessmen and women making their plans uh, with no thought of God. 
every, they're in the little conference room. They got their PowerPoint and their pointers and their lasers, and they're laying out the next two or three months. And we're going to go to Cleveland. Oh, no, don't go to Cleveland. We're going to go to Chicago. <laughs> we're going to go. I'm, I'm sorry. Huh? Dan, I didn't mean that about Ohio. But... Uh, <laughs> You've got to go somewhere. You're going to go to some city, you know, 20-city tour. <laughs> I don't want to save your emails, okay? Don't send them to me. Okay, and uh, you're gonna, we're going to do this and that, and here's the schedule, and we're going to walk away, and we're projecting this much profit. That's what he's envisioning in this little room uh, filled with believers who are simply planning out their life's work, however, with no thought of God in their plan whether it's in their thinking or in their words. Every step is laid out. It's with this kind of a prideful, absolute assurance without any thought of God's providence. No thought is entertained as to God's will for their life. They say today and tomorrow in, verse, in this verse, and they're assumed to be at their complete control and at their power. And the businessmen and women here exude with a self-assertedness, a self-centeredness, and a self-confidence as they carry out their emporium. That's the Greek word there. It's a form of that emporium, business. It comes to us in the English. Sometimes you'll see things like emporium, mercantile, merchandise, business, do business to make a profit. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, the assumption that it all depends on us, and we have the time, and we know the outcome. After all, we've done this before, and we know the outcome, so on. No allowance here is made for any unforeseeable circumstances. It's just assumed to be, this is the way it's going to be, my day timer, my calendar, and this is it, and that's it, and that's what we're going to do. No thought of God. None. Well, that's what James is addressing here. It's, uh, uh, it, it, is, it is assumed that the journey is certain to be safe, the business conducted will be profitable, and it is assumed that the year or the time is at their disposal to spend a year. Mm. I still, you know, I still think about Steve Jobs and almost a year ago, this uh, uh, brilliant man in... Uh, uh, and I know Stephen lent me uh, the book on him. I haven't worked my way through it, but he's been a hard man to work with from what I'm getting from that. But uh, brilliant, and Apple Computer, he's captured the imagination of Americans and all that. Wealthy beyond compare in, at the point of his death. And yet in his mid-50s, you know, so finally... Uh, uh, finally succumbed to his physical illness and is gone, you know. And we, we miss his brilliance, and everyone's waiting for, wonder what this next phone is going to look like. Can you imagine that? A, a, a company that would so capture the imagination of the world to have a product that everyone's like, I think the new product's coming out mid-September. I mean, that's an enormous uh, capital, capitalism success story. And yet he's gone. He's gone. He didn't have ne this year. He didn't have next year. And, and you think, well, he, has, he's, he, he could have lived for a long, long time with all that he's earned and made and saved and all the products that might have Didn't have it. He didn't have it. And, and we too often uh, under C forget that our plans are always tentative at best. 
And James is saying, never forget this. Never, never, never forget this. Your plans are not your own. Your time is not your own. Your life as a Christian is not your own. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Never, never, never forget that. That's wisdom. Again, James is not condemning planning. Don't think, oh, I'm not going to plan. You know, like, and if, well, that's the case. You know the expression, if, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. He's not condemning that, but just the planning that leaves God out. All of that. I mean, and Christians do that. I'll, I'll, they'll come to me at a certain point, some, and they'll talk about major decisions, and, uh, and they have not even prayed about that or thought about it, or a life's made, or a, a career, or a school to study at, or maybe moving, or all of these things. And we're just like, well, no, I didn't, you know, I, is God really concerned about me? Should I pray? There'll be, it, it scares me a little bit that folks would tend not even to lean on God for wisdom and direction, that God can use others to help in that. And uh, one man writes, so pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many or most Christians will attend church, they'll marry, they'll choose their vocation, they'll have children, they'll buy and sell homes, they'll expand their portfolio, they'll numbly ride the currents of culture, and here's the point, without substantial uh, reference to the will of God. He goes on to say, many Christians never seriously pray about God's will regarding their work, their family direction, entertainments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I think he's exactly right. And all of this sounds, does it not, like the Lord's little story of the rich fool? Keep your finger there, James. And just go back to Luke. I remind you, we, we visited Luke uh, 12, 16 some time ago. But uh, just to remind you what... Jesus said by way of warning uh, that uh, this, uh, this man forgot God in all his planning, and he forgot the tentativeness uh, of what his thinking and plans should have been, uh, even in his wealth and prosperity, and we are wealthy by world standards. In Luke 12, verse 6, 16 to 21, hear the words of the Lord here. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I mean, that's a bumper harvest. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build even larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and drink and, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is the word of the Lord Jesus. So I say to you, the first insight, sad to say, is but for many believers, God is not part of the process, and he ought to be at the very heart and core of it. If you're thinking of any sort of, of large or small things, you ought to bathe that in prayer and find godly counsel from just a few. Uh, and the more important a decision is, the more important you get very good counsel on that from those that love you and love the Lord.
Well, the second insight in verse 14, the solution to this is to remember, for you and I to remember, how small and weak and frail we really are. The reality is, is that we're totally dependent on the Lord for everything. Our next heartbeat, that is an amazing organ, the heart. Been caused to think about that in recent days, a little bit. Thing never gets a rest. You, know, you and I get the rest, you know, or as an organism, we lay down and sleep. That thing rests between beats. I think they ought to unionize, actually. I know some of you don't like unions, but <laughs> just that's not much of a rest. Don't I get every four hours? No. Every heartbeat is a gift. From, how about the air you breathe? How about the sunshine? We're at the right, the exact, where we ought to be from the sun, 93 million miles. The temperature, if it varied much, one way or the other, you'd be frozen stiff. You would be. Boy, he's a little stiff. You'd be stiffer. Yeah, and a little bit on the other side, a little closer, you know, you, your blood would be boiling. be worse than uh, down at the uh, equator. And it's exactly per... And air pressure, some of you know more about pressure than others. Go down underwater, boy, it hurts your ears. Go very deep, got to clear. Ron, you know how to do that. And with clear, you're, you got to... But it's 14.6 pounds per square inch at sea level. Just perfect. Feel it when you go a little bit higher. Oh, it hurts my ears. Just perfect. All of these things, all the systems of the body, even in your DNA. I was reading, they used to call it junk DNA. I was reading that this week where they didn't know what all the all this stuff, the rest of that stuff was in the DNA molecule. They thought it was, they called it junk DNA. That sounds like, man, he can't, doesn't know what. Now all of a sudden they figured out they're, they're just starting to learn. There are millions of switches that are in that. They used to call it, we don't know what it is, the junk DNA. Now it's like the closer you look at what God has done, the more amazed you will be. Just the opposite of, uh, of us, right? Yeah, it is. The closer you look at we do, you know. Somebody said that like, oh, you're a good painter. I said, oh, don't, don't go too close to the wall. You know, stay back. Way back, oh, yeah, hey, it looks pretty good, you know, <laughs> get close, <laughs> you know, like, or even a nice car. I hate to tell you, some of you have some nice cars, you're nice and shiny, but a man made that, right, or a woman made that, or someone made that, and you don't look too closely with a magnifying the bottom. Oh, you got bare metal here, just a matter of time, zinc oxide's not going to help, going to rust away. The closer you look at what God does, the more amazed you will be. It's just perfect. God is, uh, we are totally dependent on a God who supplies everything for us. Never forget that. And so James reminds us in verse 14 how deficient we really are. I mean, he could say a lot of things, but he goes like, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we go like, well, of course not. You know, like, I'm not there yet, you know. But he goes like, that's how, I mean, how stunted you really are. How feeble in your knowledge. Don't presume that to know, you know, next week, the following year, and way out here that I'm going to extrapolate and I'll be, you know, have a plan, yes, but it's always tentative. And if it's the Lord's will, or you really don't know, and I'll shake you up sometime and you'll discover you'll have a blowout day. Have you ever had that blowout day? You're like this, throw the calendar out the window. You know, like that's just completely shot. And you know, at such time, let me tell you what I've said to the Lord at such times. It really means it ministers to me. The next day after that, you know, I go like, Lord, thank you that the days are only 24 hours. Just think if you were in like that, call it a hell day for like, they go on for like seven years. If a day, you go like, 
this, uh, this day never ends. You know, I mean, the days go fast. They do, and so they like this one. And a bad day does too, and the next day, oh, Lord, thank you that that was, that was a short day. Now we're starting fresh again. <laughs> That's how I pray. I'm sorry. Join me in that, and you'll understand <laughs> sort, of, sort of what's going on. Our knowledge is so limited. In other words, he's saying, don't forget that you are human and nothing more. You're not a demigod. You're not God. You're made in God's image. You're human. Men and women, you're made in God's You're human. That's it. Equally serious is our gross failure to take to heart the frailty and shortness of our existence. He, he asks that. He points it out by setting us up with, what is your life? Now, he's not going to delve into some phil deep philosophical question. I've, I had... I had uh, a lot of classes in philosophy. Not going to deal with the phusis. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, he's, he's not doing, he's, it's not philosophical. He's just saying, take a step back and just please look at your life. It's a vapor. It's a mist. Uh, atmos is the Greek word, atmosphere. It's a vapor. That's it. it, it there was nothing, almost nothing less meaningless uh, in the old world than that. I mean, an atmos, a vapor? You think about that. A lot of times when I teach this, and some of you know that, it's like being in, it's being in a buffalo winter when you step outside and that cold hits you in the face. You go, like, yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you breathe out. and There it is. Oh, it, uh, it, it condenses. It, there it is. I see my, you guys, that's your life. There it is. Watch it. You go like, wow, that's short. I want to do a rerun on that thing. You know, wow. It's a vapor. What, what is your life? It's, it's here and gone. How brief and frail and weak we really are. And never lose sight of that. Uh, and so as well, we might answer James by saying, and I have on your sheet, our lives are transitory, they're precarious, they're not totally controllable or predictable. At controllable? I mean, we're, we're supposed to manage our lives, and we're, we are. There's a sense of that, and, uh, and we manage our homes and families and all that, and we're, we're to do the best we can with that. But really, think about it. We only ever have modest control. Don't think about it. You can't, you can't order it all. Stuff happens. Life happens. Things come up. You may not be there. Modest control of things in life, and things are not pre And that's life, Right? Who could predict that? It's not predictable. I didn't see that coming. Wow. You know, I'm not planning on seeing the bills in the Super Bowl, but that would be a nice thing. I go like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Unbelief in the house of the Lord, I see it. <laughs> now James tells us what? It is a vapor in our text. What is your life? It's a mist in the ESV. It's a mist, it's a vapor. Uh, it's here and it's gone. It's brief. It's brief. Boy, it's brief. Can we, you know, if we pass the mics around, we could all tell a story, you know, about this one and that one. And, and they were here and they're gone. Here and gone. Here and gone. Kim, I had my notes the last time was your dear friend that we ministered to when she was dying, remember? That's the last time we touched on that text. And here I had my notes uh, in Kimmy, right? And she was 42. I, I just saw that. And, and uh, you know, I'm forever 
with my father. We, we rehearsed all that this week, remembered that. It's, I've lived longer now after he's gone than the years he, he was here. That's a funny thing. And, uh, and my brother, and stuff happens. I was uh, thinking about when the family, I, my uncle, uh, Uncle Wally, was, uh, he was a dentist there in Tonawanda, and he went to the University of Buffalo Dental School. And uh, had a good practice going, and, and around 43, he got crippling arthritis in his hands. Well, that's the death note to a dentist. And all of a sudden, all those years of training, and you go like, how, who could have seen that? Who would have predicted that? And, and he had an assistant in trying to instruct, and then finally sold the practice. He no longer practiced. And stuff happens. And up the street from where my mother lived, drove by that house, thought about Mrs. Carlson. Uh, a few years ago, uh, came up for the holidays. She had married, married the Carlson boy. He was a man then, who grew up down the street from me, was an MD down in the northern Virginia area. Came up for the holidays. Four children in there. She was uh, uh, 36 or 8, maybe, and uh, came up to visit home. While up over those holidays, FedEx truck ran a stop sign. And killed her. I drove by the house and looking at that house, about six down from my mother. I go like, who would have predicted that? It's just that's the nature of of our world. And even if you say, well, I'm going to be extra careful, you know, I've demonstrated this. I'm going to I'm going to be 360, you know, nothing's going to happen to me, my loved ones. Impossible. Impossible. You can't do it. You cannot do it. I mean, that's the nature of, of life, is to remember how weak and puny and frail you and I really are. We're not much. We're not. And it's on the decline. Some of you are still on the incline. We're, we're glad for that. Becky, we're glad for, you know, you're on the upward climb. When you get into those 20s, there's a turn there. You make a left-hand turn. And it's down the mountain, right? The bear goes over the mountain, down the mountain. Some of you have been going down the mountain a long time, I can tell. <laughs> you can't see me or hear me very well, but you, it's, you got the point. Wow. Wow. Well, the third insight. By daily acknowledging our dependence on the Lord, we can replace this prideful behavior of thinking we're autonomous and can live independent of God. In verses 15, 16, and 17, instead you ought to say, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. James uh, tells us that uh, as believers, uh, we ought to be saying in our hearts, and it ought to break forward on our lips from time to time, the words, if the Lord will. Verse 15. Such words acknowledge God's direction and His approval in our life. For our very lives and uh, what we are able to do with them really are dependent upon the Lord to even give us strength to rise from our beds tomorrow. And by doing this, by thinking this and saying it occasionally from time to time, if the Lord wills, we, we as planners are expressing a, a, a deep desire for God's direction, approval, and blessing in our life, and that we wouldn't do anything 
without that. The blessing of God. That's the, uh, the phrase DV. DV, and, and I've, some of you, this may be new for the first time, but um, the word DV is the Latin form, a Dio Valenti, God willing. Dio, God, Valenti, willing. Charles Erdman writes, not that the Lord willing should always be on our lips as a mere formalism or a chant. You know, some people will do that. They'll say things, oh, the Lord willing, the Lord willing, the Lord, I'll go down and get a cup of corn, and the Lord willing, and I'll go, well, Lord willing. And they say it so much, it's like meaningless. Now, there was a day, not too many years ago, at least in my circle, where that expression was heard more. We don't hear it like I think America used to hear it. It's not on our conscience much as a people or in a culture. And then when we would hear it, I often would wonder, do they really mean it or are they just tacking it on sort of like a ritual? Sometimes I wonder that with prayer. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too because I'll always pray in Jesus' name. And uh, what that is, is that's not a magic formula, you know, like all this. And, oh, i got to wave the wand and say, in Jesus' name. What it simply means, it's a reminder that the only way I could come to the Father and ask this is through all that Christ has done at the cross for me. And that's what that means. But sometimes we use it like a wand, like, oh, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It's like we're hardly thinking what we're saying when we say it because of repetition. And the Lord's, and we say, and the Lord will, and the Lord will, and the Lord will. It can be like that same thing where it's like it, it really is meaningless. We just say it and we don't. And so that, that can be a problem, but I don't see that so much as a problem anymore. We, I don't think we're thinking about it, and I don't hear it almost never, a little bit here and there, but it ought to be. And so uh, Erdman, old man Erdman's right, not that the Lord willing should always be on our lips as mere formalism or chant, but the truth of God's providence, the belief that life and its blessings are God's gifts. The reverent conviction that the future is wholly within God's power should mold all of our thinking so that self-confidence and presumption would be impossible. Dr. Ken adds to that very, that very thought uh, in his writings uh, that the phrase, the Lord willing, has been immensely popular at different times in church history. The Puritans loved it and filled their speech and correspondence with the Latin equivalent, Dio Volenti, D capital, capital V, D period, V period, God willing. Uh, the Methodists followed the same practice. In fact, godly Methodists regularly signed their letters at the bottom with the initials D period, V period, and placards and circulars with coming events and services uh, with the same DV. Dio Valenti is the constant refrain of our hearts as we conduct the affairs of our lives. If God wills, must be written over students' plans, the choice of a life partner, future education, all and everyday activities. Older people need to say from the heart, if God wills, I will spend my time. Uh, if God wills, my children will become. If God wills, I will take up this ministry. If God wills, I will wake up tomorrow. All of us should have this heart attitude. DV, before and after everything in life, presupposes a life that is dependent, uh, that is of dependent prayer 
in which all is taken before God. It means further, a profound submission. For God willing, truly said, from a heart cannot produce anything, anything else. Well, well said, Dr. Ken. Well, B, Paul illustrates this for us. You say, well, where, where do the Scriptures teach this? Well, we see both in the Scriptures, and I just give a sampling of each in B. Paul illustrates in Acts 18.21, I will come back, he says to the brothers there, I'll come back if it is God's will, or DV, the Lord willing, God willing. And yet at other times, he expresses his plans uh, for the future, Acts 19.21, and he didn't articulate the very words, God willing, but it was in the warp and the woof of all his thinking. Uh, and so it's a caution that the word should not be used as a meaningless, ritualistic expression. However, James concludes, if we continue to plan uh, while leaving God out of the picture, James tells us that as Christians we are guilty of evil, for it is a self-glorying type of boasting, in verse 16, as it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. We are only ever to boast in the Lord. And so James concludes, verse 17, saying, like I was told many times by my father when I was younger, you have been warned. And that's what James is saying. So stop planning without God. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life? Number one, Number one, daily acknowledge your total and utter dependency upon the Lord Jesus. Daily do that. You are. You're simply acknowledging it to Him. The most common way to do that is in your prayers. That's the, most, that's the best way. Your posture of prayer, sometimes kneeling, I think that's good. That's a reminder, you know, um, and... Uh, can't always kneel when you pray. When you're driving, please don't kneel. But when you're alone, go kneel by the sofa. I kneel by a, a soft chair in my study. Kneel and pray. Uh, daily acknowledge your total and utter dependence. You know your tithing is like that too. Do you know that? Uh, the scriptures teach of giving of the first fruits. The first fruits were to, the 10% of was to be given to the Lord of our increase. And uh, that's a statement of what? It's, it was the sweetest, it was the first fruits, and we were trusting God. We were expressing our total and utter dependency upon God to bring in the rest of the harvest and to, to uh, care for that. And so we acknowledge our total dependency. Best way we do it is in prayer. We do it in our, our thinking. We do it in our giving. Number two, recognize how feeble and frail you really are. And don't delude yourself thinking that you are more than you really are. Think rightly about your life and your condition. And your condition is you're a vapor, a mist, here today and gone tomorrow. We like a snapshot and just everything. Keep it the way it is. That's not life. It's not. It isn't. So think rightly about it. Number three, you should always consider what the will of the Lord might be for you as you make your plans. 
And the will of the Lord is revealed in the Word of God. I mean, 99 and 44 is 100 of God's will. I said, what is God's will? Well, He's revealed it to us in the Word of God. Morally, it's clear what God wants us to live holy and godly and righteous life. And then as we, we providentially wonder what the days have for us to make a decision between good and better or better and best, those are harder, right? Uh, say, Lord... Lead me and guide me and, and, and help me to make a wise decision here and favor that and honor him with that in the, in the great decisions and the smaller ones of, of life. This honors the Lord by you doing that, and it reflects reality anyway. Number four, plan. Yes, make your plans. Make your plan, but in, in doing so, remember you're bearing a likeness to God. You're an image bearer as you pull out your pencil or pull out your hand device and, and enter those things on your computer. Know that you're bearing a strong image to, the, to God himself who has a plan that includes all things, all events, before they even begin. This world is not on its own. It has a definite beginning and a definite ending, and we're marching toward that day after day after day. And number five and last, the most important plan. The most important plan that you could ever make is your plan for eternity. I mean, you're going on a trip. Now, life's a trip, somebody said. You're going on a trip, so am I. There's only one of two destinations, heaven or hell. And uh, I would urge you, I would beg you, I implore you to, re to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, what shall a man do to be saved? Acts 16.31, call upon the name of the Lord. In a prayer of faith, acknowledge your sin. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying in my place. You were the substitute, the Lamb of God, the love of the Father. And they that believe in him shall never die. It means you pass at the moment of death right into glory. Much better by far. Wow. Wow. You'll be saved forever based on the gift of eternal life. Well, if the Lord wills. I want to hear more of that around here. You know, I want to hear more of it, you know, kind of bump into it. Don't be saying it all the time or we'll check, see if you're just mechanical and ritualistic. But, you know, if the Lord wills. So here we are as a church. We're, we're grace on the move. We're going to a, a different rental with the hopes within a year from now, if the Lord willing, there you go, DV, We'll be in our chapel, on our new land, and all of that. The Lord willing. And the Lord may have, he's got, do you believe he's going to have some surprises along the way? What do you think, Paul? You think you can lay out every detail in the planning team with Paul's our chair of that? Everything uh, unforeseeable? You think Mike may have a comment here or there that we didn't think about? Probably. Cindy, what do you think? The <laughs> The Lord willing, right? Well, listen, we love you. Pray for us, and the Lord willing, we'll be back. Uh, and you pray, and uh, God will give a harvest. And uh, the Lord willing, we shall meet again. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for the simple, pure teaching of the Word of God that flex reality so clearly. Thank you that history is in your hands. Our lives are in your hands you have ordained them. You've allowed us to be born in this country. We pray for our leaders, for direction, for protection. We pray for the advancement of the gospel at home and around the world. 
We ask you to bless as the Word of God is taught in Doha, Qatar, and ask that you bless here at Grace, and that both work and the work of the Lord, the building of the church, will move forward. That we'll be all a part of moving it forward, Lord, as the militant church of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that you're in charge and we're not. You're great and we're puny and small and we need thee every hour. We love you so. Make, make us a blessing. We look forward and, until the time that we shall meet again. In Christ's name, amen. We are dismissed.